That first thing that Jesus says is that when we pray to God, we don't need to be pious. We don't need to be concerned about being heard as eloquent. But prayer is conversation between you and God. We know how important relationships are, and we know how important communication is to relationships. So this is a point about relationships. And then secondly, God knows our prayers before we ask, but God values our communication with him and knows how important it is to express our soul's deepest concerns. Again, it's about communication in relationships. And thirdly, let us recognize this morning that the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that we simply repeat. We pray the Lord's Prayer and never let it become merely rote or repetitious or routine. Unless, of course, we see the routine as a holy habit that we continue over and over and over again, and that has meaning to our prayer life. And then finally, this point is well to note that the pronoun that Jesus uses in teaching the disciples to pray is our Father, our daily bread, our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You see, we we pray, and the Lord wants us to know that our prayer concerns are not merely personal, but they're uh, community-based. They're body of Christ-centered. That's why it's so important for us to pray together, one with another, for each other, as well as for ourselves in the midst of this community we call the church. This is the primary teaching that Jesus shared with the disciples before he actually talked about um, the words used in the Jesus prayer. So Jesus had a prayer life that was so highly regarded by the disciples. uh, They so admired the way that he would go off to himself and pray. Uh, They would witness him. They saw that communication that he had with God. They heard him talk about God as Abba. And the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, that's the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. They didn't ask him to teach them how to do miracles. They didn't ask him how to uh, preach. They didn't ask him anything, how to organize churches. They didn't ask him how to win the world. They asked him to teach them to pray. And I dare say they had it right. Because prayer is the foundation of our relationship with God. It's that communication that puts us on the track to all that we do in the name of Jesus. Perhaps they realized that once they learned how to pray, everything else would fall in order. You know, friends, when our church becomes a praying church, all that God wants us to become will come to be. Dr. Charles Allen was the pastor at First United Methodist Church in Houston for many years, for about 18 years. And it's been several decades since he was appointed there to be the pastor. But Dr. Allen wrote many books. God's Psychiatry is perhaps the best known of the books that he wrote. And millions of people have read them. 
But the book that he wrote that uh, I picked up this past week was the one that he wrote on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Before Charles Allen came to Houston, he was in Atlanta, Georgia. And so much of what he had to say about the Lord's Prayer, uh, he had to say in a setting uh, that was in Atlanta, Georgia, where he served their Grace Church. He said that he once had a man come into his office who was very earnest and, and very concerned, even distraught. He said, for the first time in my life, I feel the need for prayer. And now I realize I don't know how to pray. So he had come to Dr. Allen, his pastor, to teach him to pray. And Dr. Allen gave him this advice, which I think is good advice for all of us, especially if we're having trouble praying. Dr. Allen said, get somewhere where it is quiet and you will not be disturbed. Then take the Lord's Prayer and begin to read those words. Read very slowly, thinking about what each word is saying, and let each word stimulate your thinking. Then express in your own words the thoughts that come to you as you think the words of the Lord's prayer. Do you think we might could do that this morning? Well, Mike could practice what Dr. Allen was teaching that parishioner so many years ago. Perhaps we could center uh, word by word, phrase by phrase, and learn the teaching that Jesus shared with us. You know, the first step in prayer is not for something, but silencing the mind. We read in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And by saying our Father, we do just that. We center the mind, not on us, but on God to whom we pray. Dr. Charles Allen, also in that book that I read, said uh, this testimony. He said, my father was buried in the Westview Cemetery in Atlanta, Georgia. And after... um, He was a minister in that city. Dr. Allen said he performed many funerals in that um, that cemetery. And he said he can't remember ever going to that cemetery that after the graveside, he didn't go and visit his father's grave. He said, I would just stand there for a little while. I would center myself. And I would think about my father in his goodness, in his kindness in his love for me. And that experience always left me lifted up. Now, friends, we don't all have that kind of experience with a father or a parent. But Dr. Allen's point is that God is like that perfect loving parent. And when we center ourselves on who God is, we know that we center ourselves on the one who is all goodness, all kindness, all forgiving, And all love for us. The beginning of prayer is centering our minds on God. And then who art in heaven? What Jesus had in mind was not just a a, a place way up there, far removed. But the whole of creation. Who art in the whole of creation, the entire universe. 
A better translation would be, who is everywhere. You know, this certainly doesn't mean that when we're praying to God, we're, we're, we're imagining God sitting on some far-off throne uh, above the golden streets and through the pearl gates, but God is everywhere. God's everywhere in the universe, still creating the universe and upholding and carrying it forward. God is where we are, a part of his creative purpose and desires to move us toward a perfect life experience. Don't you believe that about God? That God is everywhere, but God is also as imminently present with us as we could ever imagine. And desiring through the power of the Holy Spirit to move us to a more perfect place of love. You know, when we pray these words, we can also reflect on heaven. As is the phrase, who art in heaven. I like to think of John's vision of heaven in Revelation 21. Heaven is that place where we're going, but that place that we're living through, even here, we have a taste of heaven here on earth, but in its perfect place form, where God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. That's where God is moving us. The final say-so here is there will be no more uh, tragic car wrecks, no more hurricanes, no more famines, no more cancer, no more COVID-19, no more MS, no more war. As I think of heaven, I feel a calming in my soul. How about you? And then hallowed be thy name. In other words, like the message says, God, reveal who you are. And we, as we think of God in prayer, we acknowledge that God is exalted above all things on earth. You know, I long for the day that this sanctuary is again filled. And we're singing that, um, that hymn that, uh, that really is a favorite across all denominations. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, the expression of the Trinity. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. That is God being exalted. Hallowed be thy name. We're speaking of the, the, the name of God as a sacred act. You know, one of the Ten Commandments forbids us from using the Lord's name in vain. And I think uh, too often we generally think that that means just don't use any profanity that has God in it. It, it means much more than that. It, it means that we should never um, uh, profane the name of God by not centering God as the one to be exalted. We shouldn't in some trite way refer to God. God, who is the one who, who, who comes to us and we take on God's name when we take on the name Christian. And we live into that name, into that character, into that being. That's what we mean when God is exalted. He's exalted in our life, by our life. And that's the way we live um, in, in not taking the Lord's name in vain. 
The more relevant our attitude toward God, the stronger we are inside. And then, thy kingdom come. Set the world right, as Eugene Peterson said in the message. Our prayer is not, my kingdom come, but thy kingdom come. You know, we need to hear that, especially right now, don't we? Because oftentimes we act as if we want uh, our way. We want uh, the, the things that we know are for certain are truth. We want that truth to, um, uh, to prevail. And, and we need to focus on God's truth, God's kingdom, God's way. God doesn't need any more judges. God needs witnesses to who God is. And what God is about, God's cause is the kingdom of heaven. You know, so often the reason we pray is, is so that, that we can express something that, uh, that we want from God uh, or want God to do something, and that's fine. But when our mind is filled with God, we begin to think in terms of what God wants. What benefits God in God's kingdom? We begin to pray for a society that is pleasing to God. What does God's society look like? No division, no hatred based on race or color, no despising of others because of political uh, beliefs, no um, abuse of others, one where truth reigns, one where people are always thinking about others and how to help. Others, we think of all the things in society that hurts and we want those things gone and we want God's things to be at the forefront of our desires. And then, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do what, what's best as above we forget our own desires and we put our minds upon what God desires. Thy will be done. You know, all too often, I think we think of this part of the prayer that it means that, um, that, that it's kind of negative and it's an acceptance of pain. We, we remember the words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And we... Um, and, and we associate that with Jesus' cruel death on Calvary. And, and yet when we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying to one who sees us as children, his children. We, we, we pray to one who is that perfect parent that we talked about just a moment ago, who wants the very best for our life. It is not a, 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 a life of joy and success exactly what God desires for us. It, it may not be the same success that we, we think success should be. Isn't God's success more important than anything we could possibly imagine? Because God's desire for us is so much greater, so much purer than any desire we might have for ourselves. Now, sometimes God's will comes through ways and through means that we uh, do not quite understand. And we might not have planned it that way. 
So we constantly pray that prayer that Jesus did pray in Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That, that's a complete turning over of our will to God's will. That's a total trust in God. For God always desires the very best for us. You know, I do not believe that God's plan involves getting us to a, a better place. But redeeming the worst of circumstances is what God always wants. And that always takes us to a better place. God's plan, God's will is for us to stay close to God. And to realize in our staying close to God those things that we know we'll face. That are negative and, and, and meant to take life away. God will give us that peace that we have in that understanding of God's presence with us. God's will is always the bigger picture of our life. Joy and success that God has in mind. Give us this day our daily bread. Keep us alive with three square meals, said, uh, uh, said Eugene Peterson. Give us this day our daily bread. These words are our petitions for the basic physical needs that we have. God wants us to ask for the material, our physical needs of life to be met. It's not wrong for us to ask God to help um, in making of, um, our businesses succeed or help to get us a raise in pay or, or to understand the burdens of our own debts and how we can work through those more responsibly, those are all good prayers. I would hate to think that, that my children ever reached a place that they hesitated to talk to me about their physical needs, about what's on their heart, about what's on their mind. And that's what this is about. It's an encouragement for us to pray, God, give us this day our daily needs. Note the prayer is not only for personal concerns, but our means the concerns of everyone in the community. Now that takes this to a different level. Not only do we pray as part of that ire, give us this day our daily bread, but it also means that we can never be satisfied if there are others who are hungry. If there are others who uh, have needs that, that, that aren't being met. Because they're part of the overall community. They're part of our, our, our world community. And that's why we as Christians want those basic needs met by God through us. No matter what. Think in terms of not only the Lord's Prayer being that personal sustenance. But think about what it means when we look at our, as the world that God has created, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Eugene Peterson said, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. The Lord's Prayer moves us to confession. Forgive us, Lord, should come readily to our lips. 
You know, in prayer, we should spend time identifying those aspects of our lives that are out of touch with God or have gone against His will and way. By having the Spirit of God in us, we become clearer of God's willingness to forgive us. There's an old story about a boy who was riding a train one day. And the boy kept looking out the window and he was nervous, rolling the brim of his hat as he sat beside a preacher on the plank, on the train. Now that's a lot of fun. And after a while, the preacher asked him, son, what's going on? What's troubling you? I've noticed how nervous you seem to be. And so the boy told the preacher that he had run away from home and he had told his parents he was never coming home. And they left and, and it was a tense situation and he completely severed himself from that relationship. And yet he got into the world that did not welcome him. He lost his money, couldn't find a job. He, he was in the midst of depression when he wrote his mother and father and he confessed and he asked if he could return. He couldn't hear from him because he didn't have an address. And so he said in the letter, I'll be riding the train. And he told him which day he'd be coming through town. They live just outside of town right before you get into town. And he said, if I'm welcome home, put a sheet on the gate. As they neared that town... The boy started seeing those familiar sights, and he told the preacher, I can't look. I can't look for myself. I, I just can't. Preacher, will you look for me? And as they neared that boy's home by the railroad tracks, the preacher said, you've got to look. You've got to look. Because not only was um, that, uh, that sheet hanging there on the gate, but there were towels and sheets waving from the limbs of the trees, all saying to him in that par parable of the prodigal son, way, you are welcome home. You're always welcome home. And most importantly, you are forgiven. We are to be conscious and aware of our sins for sure. But when we think of who God is and we see God as God really is, forgiving and loving always, then we are eager to rush back into the arms of God. You know, as we pray this prayer in a name um, that, that comes to mind or a hurt that comes to mind or, 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 or some, someone we need to make things right with. We, we know that God leads us in that direction because that's the very nature of God, to forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Eugene Peterson said, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. I, I like to keep us safe from ourselves. You know, we're often the ones who do the most damage to ourselves and from the devil, he said. And let us be clear, God would never lead us into temptation. It's best interpreted, let us not enter into temptation. This is a recognition of our own weakness 
So often when uh, we have heavy burdens and, and, and so often when we are, are, are looking for strength, we oftentimes look within ourselves. We oftentimes uh, have that sense of our own independence when God is saying, um, no, you pray to me and know that I will not let you enter into temptation. If you stay close to me, I will make sure that you are safe from yourself and the devil. You know, having been forgiven, we do not want to sin again. And yet this prayer points to the fact that it is only in that relationship with God that we're kept from falling into sin again or straying from God's way and God's will. And then, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze with beauty. Yes, 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 said Eugene Peterson. The prayer ends where, where we begin, centered in God. It comes full circle. I want to say that on my way to church this morning, I stopped by the hospital room of Miss Virginia Serber, 98 years old, a true saint of this church, served her country in, um, in, during World War II. I, I had prayer with her. Her mind's still very sharp. And, and we prayed, and she had this beautiful smile on her face, and we prayed in the spirit of the Lord's Prayer that she has said so many thousands of times in her long life. And you know, I was reminded from a few days old to 98 years old, the kingdom of God is the business that we're called to be about. I was praying and holding the hands of a saint this morning who was so thankful for her church that brings us together. And I can say without doubt, she is a witness. To say thine is the kingdom means that we give our discipline, the obedience to God and God's kingdom. To say thine is the power means I am not afraid because God is able and sufficient to supply all of our needs. To say thine is the glory means I am not seeking glory for myself. To say forever means that my horizon is lifted beyond the temptation, bounds of time and space and God's eternity. And to say amen means faith in truth or faith in God. It means a willingness to trust God's will and judgment and power. The word amen brings us to that sense of a sense of deep confidence and peace that passes understanding, but not passing our experience. Our experience is relationship with God.